My name is Lamar Hardwick. I'm a husband, father of three, pastor, scholar, author, and all-around avid reader and lover of all things culture. And in 2014, at the age of 36 years old, I was diagnosed with autism. This is the Autism Pastor Podcast, where we discuss all things culture, politics, faith, religion, and spirituality, all through the lens of someone loving, learning, and living while on the autism spectrum. Welcome to the Autism Pastor Podcast. Hey, this is Lamar. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, this is Lamar. You're listening to the Autism Pastor Podcast. Recently, I began a book club uh, based on my new book, Disability and the Church. And so we are so excited that we've had literally uh, dozens of people from not just the U.S., but even from the U.K. and Canada who have decided to join this book club led by myself. And so uh, in this episode, I'm going to take you into uh, some of the conversation that we had in the book club on this past week and um, some of the things that I shared with those who were in the book club in addition to what they were reading uh, a lot of my thoughts behind some of the their favorite quotes and some of their favorite ideas found in the book so again this is uh, the book club uh, ran by me on my new book disability and the church this is actually week two of that book club but now we're going to take you into some of that conversation uh, as we talked about my new book disability and the church enjoy very quickly and then I want to have somewhat of a dialogue on that because I didn't touch this as much as I wanted to but if you um, look at chapter one um, starting at page 31 we talk about biblical diversity Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do is set the foundation based on my own study and research of what that actually looks like especially because it's such a hot button issue. So you notice I, I break it down on page, starting on page 32, um, based on how Paul describes what diversity looks like, which is key in trying to become a, an inclusive church. Um, one of the things that uh, he talks about is having peace. Um, and that is not the absence of differences. I'd say on page 32, um, probably the 
the middle of the first paragraph, peace is not the absence of differences, but rather the presence of a united community, despite the differences. And I think that's something that we've got to hold on to as we're trying to build uh, inclusive uh, ministries, especially inclusive of persons with disabilities, is that we're going to have to know that differences have to be welcomed and that to dismiss differences is not actually an act of uh, diversity or or peace. It is to understand that those differences have to be present in order for it. So you think about it, if you and I both think the same, live the same, vote the same, we both have the same abilities, then it doesn't really require much. That's all, That's not necessarily peace because we're actually uniform. Um, but in order to do this ministry and to carry the weight of it, we have to upfront understand that we are inviting persons with you know, a lot of differences um, from ourselves to them and them to us to be able to actually do this. And then uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on is the unity piece. Uh, as we talk about diversity, um, which is a big deal. Like you hear this a lot, especially in our culture, when something happens, there's calls for unity. But the biggest thing that we've got to understand is that unity page 33 presupposes equality. So if we are going to have uh, a ministry that's inclusive of persons with disabilities, we got to start from the place where we consider everybody equal. And that's been a struggle uh, in our culture because we like to use labels to describe how persons' bodies function or not function. Uh, and that inherently sometimes puts people uh, at a disadvantage because we don't consider them, even if it's subconsciously, we don't consider them equal. But but this thing doesn't work without unity and unity always presupposes equality. You cannot, you think about if you balance um, a ledger or a checkbook, that the goal is to get things to match up on both sides where it's it's a level playing field. And that's that's the work of the cross that Jesus did. It's, and I love the saying that all is level at the foot of the cross this is why grace is so important uh, as an element of our faith, because it presupposes that all of us are on an equal playing field when it comes to our standing with God. Uh, so, so unity presupposes equality. Then we talk about individuality. That's important as well as you're doing this work, because in order to do the work of disability ministry, right, is we have to understand that the, the true measure of diversity is distinction. So so nothing is truly diverse unless there are a multiplicity of distinctions within that umbrella. Right. So you can't call something diverse unless their their individuality is allowed to stay in in check. One of the things that I love is that when you flip to the book of Revelation, everything that is distinct about human beings and how they're created is still present. And in the end, as they're worshiping around the throne. So it says every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every ethnicity, right? All those things stay intact. So part of making sure that we have the right foundation for this is understanding that the measure of diversity is distinction. And I say on page 34, group cannot define itself as truly diverse unless each person's individual identity is allowed to stay intact. So that's also part of the inclusion versus in invitation, right? is oftentimes what we see in church is we 
we see this racially, ethnically. And what I'm trying to help us avoid in doing disability ministry is that we want people to come into our church and then we want to, to assimilate them into looking like, thinking like, acting like us, which is why it becomes for so many churches a disturbance to have persons with disability because it's it's much more difficult to ask a person uh, with some sort of disability to assimilate into a program that may not fit their neurology or them physically or um, some of the things that they may be challenged with. Right. So it's much easier to do that when we talk about racial and ethnic diversity, because we can ask you to come into our church and sing all the songs that are part of our culture, sing all the do all the things that are part of our culture. It's much harder to do that when we talk about disability. So we've got to make sure that um, that's a part of it. And then on page 35, I talk about reconciliation. Uh, when it comes to diversity, understanding true biblical rec- reconciliation is extremely important. In Paul's words, the Ephesian Christian community reconciliation comes as a result of Christ's death on the cross. Uh, and then I skip down um, to the paragraph below that on page 35. Reconciliation in this context is defined as an exchange. One of the things that I often say is life change happens when life is exchanged. And again, we talk about balancing things out to reconcile means to have equal value on both sides, right? And so that requires an exchange of space, but also an exchange of life, right? That's where the life transformation happens. So um, I did want to touch that. Also on the bottom there, I talk about sacrifice. Um, One of the things that I think we don't understand about sacrifice is that it's not always giving something up. Uh, many times in the biblical text, sacrifice also means taking something on extra. Uh, so you see this in the model of Jesus. He takes up the extra. He takes on something extra by taking on our sin. Uh, he even teaches uh, in the um, in a parable. He talks about um, actually the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about going the extra mile, taking on an extra mile. Um, and I think that's something that churches have to understand that it means when they hear this, they think about, we're going to have to give something up. And that may be true, but the real work is being able to take something extra on um, so that we can make the sacrifices necessary to become the types of environments that welcome persons with disabilities and their families. So I'm going to pause right there uh, for any questions or comments. And then, um, pick up on chapter two, some of the main things, give you some of my thoughts behind uh, some of it, and then uh, open that part up for discussion. Um, Where is the diversity quote found? That's in the chat. Um, Not sure which diversity quote, but the whole section um, on biblical diversity starts on page 31. Uh, and goes all the way through page 36. So can you unpack the life change happens when life is exchanged a little more? Certainly. Um, So I actually, I actually coined that phrase and learned that principle as um, a hospice chaplain years ago. Um, I had to spend time with uh, a variety of people um, who had a variety of different conditions. Most of them were life limiting. Um, but one of the things I learned is that like my first year, um, I 
made my goal is to be of service to the people, which is a noble goal. Um, the problem is, is that I started to learn that that's similar to disability ministry. It was a paternalistic, charitable point of view, which is not a bad place to start. But what it did is it didn't actually allow the person that I was serving um, to add value to my life. So one of the stories that I uh, used to describe that is um, in the beginning, I think it's in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus, I think John says that Jesus is walking in some of um, John the Baptist's disciples asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, um, oh, come and see, right? And so he invited them into his space. One of the things that we often miss when it comes to uh, following Christ, and especially as we le- as we learn from the life of the disciples, we tend to magically think that when he said, come follow me and I'll make you fish as a man, that they just dropped everything. Uh, and it was some sort of magical spiritual moment, which I'm sure there's some of that there. But if you read things in the proper chronology in the Gospels, these guys already knew Jesus because he spent time with them. So there's one place where it says that they, Jesus told them where he was staying. He told them, come hang out with me. There's another place where it talks about him healing Peter's mother-in-law. And so this trajectory of them having their life changed was primarily because of an exchange, right? Jesus welcomed them into his space. So I say that to say the view that we have to take as we're building inclusive ministries is to not take a paternalistic or charitable view to say that we're the only ones here to offer you something. Uh, And I learned this as a chaplain. Um, At a certain point, I learned that the people that I was serving had a lot of value to add to my life. And so a great example of that is I I started asking some of my patients to pray for me. Um, as I'm praying for them and they would give me wisdom and tell me stories. So my job wasn't just to go in and pray for them uh, and assume that there's not a level of exchange that needs to take place. And what ended up happening is that my last two and a half years um, it was much more transformative and much more life-changing for, for me and my patients because I learned that I wasn't just there to show up in their life um, to offer them something, but there was something that they could offer me. And so life change happens when life is actually exchanged. Um, Robert Upton, who wrote um, Toxic Charity, talks about that a lot. If you want to pick up that book, if you've never read it, Um, he talks about the danger of coming into a community and assuming that we're there to add value to them and that they have nothing of value to add to us. And so if we really want life change, which is what the churches should be about. Uh, It has to happen in the context of exchanging life, sharing a space, allowing a person's uh, and the disability community and their families to bring something to the table, to bring wisdom, to bring insight, to bring stories, to bring even correction to some of our thoughts. Um, and you'll see that it's much more transformative when we don't position ourselves as the heroes, um, but also students and exchanging life and sharing space, uh, sacred space, so that they can add something to our lives that we don't already have. So, um, Hopefully that makes sense about life change happens when life is exchanged. It's being fully open. And then knowing that the results of being fully open um, helps both of us to be transformed. So hopefully that answers, answers your question. All right. Any other 
questions about um the biblical makeup of diversity or anything in chapter one um that you want to <clears throat> further want me to further explain or unpack for you All right. Um, so let's let me hit on a couple of things in chapter two. Um, and then we'll get your your questions or um anything that you want me to discuss further. So chapter two um starts with um the table. Um interestingly enough, I preached a sermon on table fellowship this morning which is a fascinating concept that i think we don't always understand um particularly in the west because it's it's a little bit foreign to us um but the whole story about the banquet is to set the stage for understanding what it means to be truly inclusive i want to skip to um Somewhere I asked a question about page 45, but I want to skip to um, page 49, uh, especially talking about um, the banquet. So if you've read that, make sure that you read that. Um, but I want to start <clears throat> with actually page 48, and then I want to get your thoughts on a few things. See, see what you think. Um, so I start on page 48, the last paragraph on March 14th, 2020. Uh, and, and by the way, I should say this. I've said this before, like we are really at the beginning stages of COVID. So even the mentions that I have in here about the COVID-19 pandemic were added at the last minute because I was actually done with the book before that even became a thing. Um, and they gave me some last minute chances to added a few things or add a few things before the book went into um, what they call a set printed. And after that, you can't make any changes. So a lot of what I said was very preliminary observations, but I said uh, on page 48, last paragraph on March 14, 2020, I had to make a critical decision that thousands of pastors and church leaders had to make all over the world. A pandemic was sweeping the globe and COVID-19 a new coronavirus caused the entire world to grind to a slow hold. Large gatherings were, at least for a time, no longer a reality. So you see that was very preliminary because I said at least for a time. And we know that that's, prob that's still the case, right? But like many churches, we had to quickly adjust to not being able to gather together weekly in a physical location while still being able to practice our faith in meaningful ways. Page 49. For many churches, that meant creating ways to include people who were now unable to attend weekly in-person worship gatherings, video conferencing, live streaming, and so many other methods of communication became the norm for many churches, even those with smaller budgets. The pandemic pushed churches to create and create accommodations that made it possible for people to participate. Imagine having the same sense of urgency and placing the same value on a large segment of our communities that have been largely unable to participate in our weekly gatherings prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. That is the role of the church. In fact, the primary reason the church should be willing to invest in disability ministry is because the Christian faith has always made the disabled a priority as a part of its commitment to faith. Uh, I'll pause right there. There's a little bit more I want to read, but 
what I learned and what we've observed is that when accessibility, and I tweeted this a while back, uh, when accessibility became an everybody issue, the church got very creative and we found the money. So that also answers some of the, you know, investment and return on investment. Um, we found the resources to do the things that we needed to do when accessibility became an issue for everyone. So one of the things that I have encouraged leaders of churches and other organizations to do is to tap into what that felt like for everyone, because for the last year plus, it's been a challenge for everyone to be able to access their church and what their church was doing and people feeling disconnected, not knowing what's going on, not being able to get to the building. Although some of churches have started meeting uh, again. Um, but, you know, what did that feel like and how do we take that as an opportunity to properly weigh and consider the things that we probably should have been considering before? Um, because now we've proven to those who are in the disability community that it is possible to find the resources, it is possible to make accommodations to give people access to what we're doing. So so when I say that the this has always been a part of the the early church's commitment, I go on to say a look at the early church history in the post-apostolic period will show that the church's commitment will show the church's commitment to the disabled. So I don't know if not, a lot of people know this history. Didymus, an early church father from Alexandria of Egypt, was a leader in the fourth century church and is credited with the foundational work in the church's articulation of the Holy Spirit. He was, in fact, blind. Not only was he a leader in the church, but much of the writings of the early church fathers contributed to the early church's theology of disability. <clears throat> and then I go on to quote uh, some of my friends at the Banquet Network. People with disabilities were a priority for the early church, and they were a priority because of the church's prioritization of and a commitment to caring for the poor. Disability appears in their writings not as a one-off topic, but as a part of their larger interest in the materially and socially poor. Working from the teachings of Jesus, the church fathers saw it as a part of their Christian vocation to live charitably towards those who were ostracized. So talking about setting the table um, is actually a return. And I did a whole message on this. Um, you can go to Tri-Cities Church and watch the message uh, from week one of the series Disability Church, where I give a whole history of how the church historically has handled this and it wasn't a um consider they didn't consider it disability or special needs ministry it was just um being obedient to the teachings of jesus so one of the things that i'm not sure that we understand because most of us haven't gotten into church history as uh as much as probably some of us have um so so we know the bible but there's so much church history that's not necessarily in the bible that's important one of which is, and I just read it, a lot of the early church followers that shaped the theology have shaped uh, how we communicate things like the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, some of the things they've given us language. A lot of those were persons with disabilities. Uh, I just read you Didymus, who's credited with helping us to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, was blind. Um, this has always been a part of the church's history. And so setting the table is is going back to what Jesus says, start with that community set the table um, because that's sort of the way that it's always been. I think we've just gotten away from it. Um, so let me read another section that I wanted to read to you. 
uh, and then I want to get your thoughts on something. Because when Jesus talks about setting a table, a large part of that discussion is a discussion about honor. <clears throat> so page 57, uh, second paragraph, um, or first full paragraph on page 57. When it comes to creating a diverse church that includes those with disabilities, we must examine who we allow to have the seats of honor. Honor is the placing of weight. It is the ultimate assumption of value. Honoring others brings structure and spiritual strength to our faith communities. Honor is the gravity that keeps God's blessing grounded in our gatherings. Most importantly, honor is displayed when we assume the best about others. Honor is assuming competence. Uh, and I saw someone in the chat talk about competence. So let me ask you this. We've got about 15 minutes because Jesus places a heavy, heavy weight on this concept of honor. Uh, and in first century Palestinian thought and theology, honor was a big deal. Um, for them, honor was something like gravity, right? And so the same that we same way that we understand gravity holds things down, it keeps things from uh flying away. <clears throat> For them, honor had that same sort of principle. It kept us grounded, but also kept God's blessing grounded. And so when Jesus talks about setting the table and he scolds those for sitting in the seats of honor, he says that the places of honor belong to this community that traditionally has not been invited to the table. Uh, in a lot of ways, Jesus is helping us to recenter um, and to bring honor to the place where honor is due. Even Paul talks about this. Uh, in Corinthians, he says the parts that we have considered to be dishonorable are actually the most honorable. So there's always been this emphasis on placing the honor or in, in a lot of uh, other ways that term that term uh, in Greek or Hebrew can be defined as weight is putting the weight on the right things. Um, so my question is, as as we sort of wrap up. Um, it's kind of threefold. And I want you guys to, to chime in. Where have you seen the weight placed in your churches or your organizations? Um, primarily where, where is what programs ideas seem to get the most weight placed on it? Um, and then answer that question pre COVID uh, answer that question now, like, where do you see a lot of the weight being placed on? And when I say weight, where, where does it seem like the focus and the importance and the energy is being given in your churches? And then um, the third part of the question is where, where do you see it after we come out of this pandemic or where would you like to see it? Where would you like to see the weight being placed? Uh, the energy, the honor being placed because Jesus seems to think that that's a big deal in being able to create inclusive communities that wherever you place the weight um, is where you're going to stay grounded. And it's also going to be where you, where you at least attempt to attract God's involvement. And when he says blessing, it's not material things. It is God's empower, God empowering you to make that a successful part of your calling and your, the work that you do. But a lot of it has to do with honor. A lot of it has to do with setting the table and placing the weight. So where do you where have you seen the weight being placed? Um, where are you seeing the weight being placed now? Where would you like to see the weight or the energy being placed in the future as we try to come out of this pandemic? So jump in. We got 13 minutes before I, I let you go, but I want to hear from you. 
what what have you seen happening in your church as far as where the energy seems to be placed, the weight seems to be placed? Hello. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, I have allergies, so I'm a little stuffy, but um, I think pre-COVID, I saw a lot of um, the energy and the money um, placed in like the music ministry, mm. um, as well as supporting leadership, whether that be um, pastoral workshops, leadership workshops, um, things like that. Mm. And even now, um, I see... Um, trying to update um, uh, media equipment and creating um, subgroups and social media platforms and Zoom and things like that. Um, But I will reference a quote from your book where you say the church is good at teaching people to be good, but not good to people. Hmm. I was looking for it quickly as you were talking so that I could actually tell you all where it's at, but I I was unable to find it. Um, But I, I would love to see the church um, actually emphasize how to be good to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not an autistic person, um, but I have an autistic son. And um, since he was born three years ago, um, I have had to relegate to my husband and I um, alternating church services because not only can they not accommodate him, they don't want him in the sanctuary either. So um, imagine how hard it is for a mother to get her children ready to go to church, to get in church and five minutes after sitting down being asked to leave. Um, So um, good ministry, great music, um, great leadership development, but horrible people skills, horrible people skills. Um, So I would love for there to be some inclusion here. And I signed up for this and I've highlighted and marked up your book because I would love to be a facilitator in how to have that conversation and not just put up a ramp or have a sign language ministry and use that for dance and say we're inclusive but actually leaving seats at the table for people with disabilities to speak. So um, that's my input. Well, thank you for sharing. That's good. Um, And I'm sorry that you've had that experience. Uh, Unfortunately, that's a lot of people that I've talked to over the years, that's been their experience. Um, But I think you said we put a lot of weight on music. Um, We put a lot of weight on uh, what I've saw, and I think you're correct, one of the trends over the last, I would say, 10 years has been we've placed a lot of weight on leadership. So you see lots and lots of books. A lot of times you can tell what where the church universal, especially in the West, is placing weight because you see an influx of resources on that type of stuff. Right. Leadership has been one of those things over the last 10 years. And not that it's not important, um, but let's be honest, how many books um conferences seminars and they're starting to become more um resources have been placed out on what we're talking about tonight so there's not a lot of weight that has been placed on the importance of what we're talking about tonight but jesus seems to think that wherever you place the weight is what's going to ground your church um and he says that it should be Again, as he's talking about this banquet, invite the blind, the lame, the crippled, the poor. He says, start there, put the most weight on that, and then everything else will be able to to fit in line. So anyone else um, feel like sharing? I see uh, in the chat a couple of um, comments there. But anyone else want to ask that question? Where have you seen the weight being placed pre-COVID? Where is it being placed now? Where would you like to see the weight being placed? 
I can share, Dr. Mm -hmm. Hardwick. Um, so I'm East Asian, and so I've attended uh, Korean and other East Asian churches my whole life. And the, um, and this is probably a longer question, but mm. the the weight is placed on literally everything except the disability community. And that is because in our culture, um, the weight, it, it's a cultural thing. And from the beginning, I think that kind of, I think in India, it's called the caste system. It's very similar mm -hmm. in, our, in, our, um, in our society as well. And so that culture is thousands of years older than the Christian culture because Christianity is quite young in a lot of these um, East Asian countries. And so it's been, um, honestly, I, I also have a, a toddler who uh, is autistic and I initially left my, um, my church to attend a ministry uh, that was geared towards autistic children. And I took my child there and never went back because they, it seemed to me that although with good intentions, it was, a ministry that basically babysat your kids so that mm. the parents could go to service. Um, and so, um, and I think that's what it is in, in my culture. It's a, you know, let's keep them out of the service so that the parents can attend and let's just keep them busy. Um, and there's, like you said, it, just a few moments ago, there's no exchange. It's just, let's serve them like a charitable deed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that, um, so I, I was pulled aside by a deacon at my original church and she's really encouraged uh, me to start uh, an inclusive children's ministry. Um, and so I think, and that's why I think um, I'm actually here is to gain some insight to, uh, to do that because I think um, COVID has taught all of our churches how truly flexible we are um, and how quickly we can move. And I think a lot of the, yes, there is a, a cultural and financial barrier to starting these you know, quote unquote, new ministries. Um, but I think the church has learned that we can do it. It's possible just as long as, um, like, we don't have that fear anymore because mm -hmm. we've been forced to change. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I think that's, that's true. One of the things that, um, you know, I never want to call this pandemic a blessing. Um, but if we were able to extract anything that we learned is that, um, you know, we can do this. Um, I think that the waters are being stirred and it's the time for us to, to jump in. So I, I'm going to close with this. Uh, and again, as always, you can email me. You should have my email address based on the registration. Uh, it's Lamar at tricitieschurch.com. Um, but so sort of as your homework, you know, I'm not going to, we're not going to grade anything, but think about, uh, and notice the places where um, th the weight has been placed um, and think about what are some ways that we in our various churches and organizations can try to help in a time where everything is shifting. I think this is a great time to make the shift. Right. So as I, I um, have been encouraged in a group that I had been sort of mentoring through some of these things that. You know, as we are looking at re-entry, let's not just re-enter, let's rebuild. Like, I think this is a time so many churches have been away from what has been their normal programming for, you know, a year plus. Um, and so I think this is a great time to shift the weight, to say, 
all right, what do we want to, and even in my own church, we've had to do that. Um, and I, and quite honestly, um, this whole pandemic has forced us to do that. There's some things that I know that I decided after a few months being into this pandemic that didn't deserve my attention anymore or didn't deserve the weight that we placed on it. Because in the grand scheme of things, some of those things just weren't as important because we were dealing with a crisis on a global scale. And I think the nature of what has happened um, lends itself for us to be able to make those sort of adjustments um, with little, I wouldn't say no, but with little resistance because COVID has done a lot of that for us. A lot of us, even in our personal lives, have had to shift the weight to other things that have become more important because we've all had to adjust. So so I think the time is ripe for the church to not just re-enter, but to rebuild, to rethink, and to place the weight on, um, as we have already done, and I don't know that that pastors and leaders have thought about this. We've already done that. We, When accessibility became an everybody issue, we shifted the weight on the things that made it a little bit easier for people to access what we were doing. We've seen it. We've seen the money come out, um, whether it's building, you know, better technology systems, whatever it is. We uh, the circumstances dictated that the weight be shifted to things that made it easier for people to access what we were doing because everybody had trouble accessing the church. Why not take this as an opportunity to evaluate that? And say, maybe we don't return to placing the weight on, you know, music ministry or leadership or some of the other things that people have mentioned. All those things are important, but they don't ground us in the type of blessing that Jesus seems to think happens when we place the weight on the disability community first. So when you go back and read that parable in Luke 14, um, start with the banquet. He's there. Read it again. And he says, invite this group first. Right. That's how you build it. I think we have an opportunity to rebuild that. Um, and it's going to take some time, but we've already had circumstances dictate that we adjust the weight on which we place certain things. Some things, as we return back to our churches, should no longer be as important as they used to be. Because we have been shown that accessibility is a very real issue and it impacts people's lives. The problem is that. The, the lives that it has been impacting for years haven't been really thought about. And this is our chance to do that. So as your homework, just think about that. Where, where do you see the weight being placed? Uh, where do we need to ground ourselves? Where do we need to place the honor so that we can build this the right way? And I think God has given us the opportunity to do that. Um, so I, I'm going to end there next week. We'll dive into um, chapter three, uh, and four, which is a better question. Um, so if you have the book, go ahead and read those chapters, come with your questions. Um, cause we'll start talking about uh, a better question. And then the next chapter of that chapter four, we'll, we'll discuss some of those barriers to inclusion. Some of the things that we're going to run into and have created as part of, the barriers to inclusion and how we can address those uh, as we are trying to serve our various faith communities. So, hey, thanks again for joining us on the Autism Pastor Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, do me a huge favor 
Go to wherever you subscribe to this podcast and hit subscribe so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. And then leave a review uh, wherever you are listening to this podcast because reviews help us to get more exposure, but also to help get out this content as we are seeking to help persons and their churches and faith communities become more inclusive of those with disabilities. Again, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you can get notifications when new episodes drop. And then also do me a favor and drop a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Listen, I'm grateful that you chose to spend this time with us and we look forward to uh, being with you next week in a brand new episode. Peace.